Howdy campers, it's Lauren Marie Taylor and you are listening to the Not The Final Girl Podcast. Hey everybody, if you like a deep dive into a young director's experiences creating and successfully completing his first full-length feature, then this episode of the Not The Final Girl Podcast is definitely for you. Take a listen to my chat with John Iceberg, the creative force behind Final Summer. It's an original throwback to the 80s style of horror that we all love, along with our popcorn, of course. In this very first episode of my Creators Month for the month of August, John discusses how the premise of Final Summer was formed, his early influences, lesson learned from all the stress, and you know what? Just getting it done. Thanks in advance for listening, everybody. Let's go. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. It looks like you're either in a movie theater or in a baseball stadium. We're recording this oh, yeah. on Zoom, so I see seats there. What are you in? Oh, this is my basement in my house. So during COVID, um, I just started to build like a home theater upstairs and then transferred it downstairs. And these seats came from the production studio that I worked at in Champaign. And so finally got like a legitimate kind of a downstairs thing. But it's been fun, you know, and... uh you know, I think like, I don't know if you, you know, talking about like watching a movie on a, a bigger projector screen versus like an iPhone or a TV. It's like you, you see much more about the construction of scenes and just the, you know, the cinematography and even like how the, like the building blocks of a film. And so it's really, I, I love it. I love, this is kind of my little happy place, I guess. <laughs> it looks very happy. And it's funny to listen to you talk because you sound so much like the filmmaker that you are. Were you like young Sammy Fableman in The Fablemans? Did you always dream of becoming a filmmaker? I think so. And I think it was like, I grew up in Aurora, Illinois. And um, I had like, my grandparents always like talked about movies and film. And, you know, my grandma's favorite movie was Casablanca. And we'd watch uh Oh, you know, like Humphrey Bogart and um, Catherine Hepburn and all this and just all of those kinds of films. And I think it was just the way that they kind of talked about movies and the way we kind of felt around movies. And so then my cousins would come over, we would make Kool-Aid and popcorn and we'd watch like the Goonies or whatever on uh, like a Laserdisc player. And then and then there was a beautiful theater in Aurora called the Paramount, the Paramount Arts Center which if you've ever seen the movie Public Enemies, the Michael Mann film, they actually go into it in one scene. So like Johnny Depp and them are in this theater and they're like, look to the left, look to the right. And then they're in this beautiful place. And it was this palace. And I felt like it probably set me up for failure in a way because you, <laughs> as a kid, you walk into this like, just a, like a cathedral for film. And it was so amazing. And so I think it just, films always had that quality. And then you know, like later on, I met, uh, like I grew up in Aurora and I had like a lot of friends. And then I moved to the small farm town called Elburn where I had like no friends, but I had a lot of bullies. And I, I found like the two kind of, you know, social misfits in the school. This one guy, Chick, and my friend Mike, and he had a video camera, like an old VHS camcorder and two VCRs. And so we would stay at his house on the weekend and we'd write movies, like cheesy, like ninja superhero stuff. And we'd shoot them. And then finally we'd take them to the class and for speech class, like you could do a commercial and it just kind of built from there. But I think it just, I don't know. It was just, I think maybe just because we were kind of social outcasts, I feel like the movies connected a lot for us and to go to the Fablemans. Yeah. It's kind of similar. Like it reminds me a lot of his story in a way where he had all these friends and then he went to LA and he just had a lot of bullies. And so it's like, yeah. And it was kind of cool where, cause I remember like showing films in class and we would get bullied a lot, but it was like the one time, even the bullies would laugh at some of the 
the, the videos we were doing. And so it was just kind of, in, I don't know, it's just, I always loved movies. That's the, the short answer. I could talk about this all day. It so. sounds like you were influenced by the beauty and the arc of the old style of the movies. What do you think was your earliest influence in terms of what genre you wanted to go into? Uh, I think like growing up, I loved, you know, again, Spielberg, I think I love because I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I probably saw that about a million times as growing up, you know, and, and then Jaws, of course, I saw that way too young. So I was afraid of every body of water and pools and bathtubs and all sorts <laughs> of, a total, you know, just, total agreement with you on that one. Oh, yeah. What I love about his films is like the way he moves the camera and the way he does these these longer takes and stuff. And so it's really fun. And, and I remember reading about um, well, this one filmmaker was like coming back from somewhere and he watched Raiders of the Lost Ark on the plane with no sound on because he didn't have headphones. And he was just blown away by the visual storytelling. And I just think I love that. Just that I think growing up in the 80s, I was like, you know, I was born in 76. So I was kind of like a kid in the 80s. And so the Goonies and Back to the Future, I, I think Back to the Future and Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of had biggest impressions on me and then my cousins who liked horror movies which i couldn't watch so i would <laughs> so they would tell me about them or whatever, <laughs> you, know, like, you know you know made for kid version of the films or whatever but yeah yeah you were a little young to start watching halloween and the early friday yeah, the 13th <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it sounds like you liked movies that had a lot of movement in them a lot of action oh yeah and i think that kind of made sense later on because i I also have ADD, and I, I didn't realize I had ADD until I was in my early 30s. And so I think that made a lot of sense for, you know, just a lot of, like, the path. And you're like, oh, well, I'm glad I know that now, you know, <laughs> versus back then. It would have been helpful. But I love – I think that's why I like movement a lot. And, and I've had to learn to uh, put the camera on sticks sometimes because that's easier to – you know, it's just – you know, I'll get too bored with the shot, and so I need to move stuff around. It just—I love the the movement a lot. Are you a film school guy? I went to film school for a semester, and then I dropped out. <laughs> Why did you drop out? Were you one of those guys who says, "Wait a minute, I know how to do all this already. I've been living this with my cousins and friends." Oh, I think I was like, uh, oh, I met some girl and got like hopelessly fell over out of her heels for this girl and then got my heart broken and then I was like well I'm going home and then that was back in my ADD don't know I have ADD days but it was probably 90 95 fall I went to film school and it was kind of right in the, that that era of like the Tarantino and Kevin Smith like indie filmmaking thing and so that was really inspiring to me and I remember I got through like intro to cinema that was like my only film school course <laughs> but I remember people would drop people would take a semester off to save up to buy film stock. And so I remember hearing about my friends who would like, I'm taking a semester off just like in works to pay for the film stock. And so it was, it was an interesting time. Cause you know, it was like right before digital era. And I'm sure, you know, like a totally different era, like when you were kind of coming up to on the film sets. You have a full length feature called final summer. Before we get into final summer and everything that it's about, did you do any shorts to yeah, sort of uh, sharpen your teeth and sharpen your skills? I think most of my 20s, I went, I was playing in bands and then we did some music videos and I was just kind of really blown away by the process, you know, to be on, you know, like in the band and you're like, you know, doing the ba bass or whatever, you know, but I remember really being drawn to the cinematographer who was shooting it more so than the the director because I was kind of blown away by one he was like the coolest guy I ever met he was like Scottish in his 40s and he just knew all the cool bands and great films and but I just loved 
to see what he could do. And it, it was very intriguing. And then finally, a film came to town in 2014 called Consumed with Daryl Ween and Zoe Lister-Jones, who went on to direct like The Craft, like the re- reboot of that. And um, that movie kind of changed my life, you know, because I was coming out of a pre abusive situation and i found this movie and i had no idea what to do and they said you know you want to intern as a grip i was like sure and i just totally it was like in a thousand cc's of like hey butch how you doing of uh, um vitamin b and all that and and i just loved it and i got to do my first dolly shot with beth grant from donnie darko and i was scared to death you know oh my <laughs> Cause, gosh because it was such a dance you know and and I and then from that I just I had the bug and so I had to do more so I bought a like a T three I Canon and I just started shooting tons of like things that had no business shooting like documentaries and commercials and music videos and and shorts and it just built from there and and then more films would come to town to work on and then I started this kind of indie nonprofit workshop and we would just anytime I got some new piece of gear like a C stand or gels or a light or whatever you know Dana Dolly we were out there just kind of learning as we go. And it was great. Um, it started just with a couple of people just because I wanted to have more experienced people on a, a commercial shoot, shoot with me. And then by the time we rolled into final summer, I think we had like 15 people in there like they were building into a solid crew. So it was it was pretty amazing. What's the premise of final summer? So final summer is um, it's the final day of a, a summer camp in 1991. And there's a tragedy that occurs at the camp. And, and that night, while the campers or the camp counselors are kind of just coming to terms with what happened and just kind of closing down the camp, there's a killer in the woods who's waiting for them. And, and then I think that the theme of it, I wanted to make a film about um, being a survivor. So more about a survivor. So taking the, the kind of the, the genre of the slasher, but doing it more as a film about being a survivor and less about a killer in the woods kind of thing. So that was kind of my approach to that. How did you develop your characters throughout your writing process? Sure. The, you know, the final girl was interesting to me because I, you know, I, I kind of took a lot of the things that I've been through or like, you know, people in my life who have experienced PTSD. And, you know, one thing I think about with the characters in a horror film is I wanted them to feel relatable. And I love the, you know, I love like Stranger Things. I love the characters in Stranger Things a lot. And I love like the Goonies and, and just be, and so I wanted the characters to feel like, like, what if you were really in a slasher film and not like what you think you would do in a slasher film, but what you would actually do in a slasher film. And so always kind of going from that place of, you know, like you're not going to go out there and be like the tough guy. You're going to freak out and lose your mind a little bit. And then, um, you know, and so that was a, that was a lot of the impetus behind that. And then just the people that I knew locally, I kind of started to write to them and then think about like, like who represents the audience, you know, in a way. So characters like Peter or, um, Mario or kind of the audience. And then even to go to how some of the tropes of the eighties, how like the black guy dies first kind of thing is to revisit that in a different way. Or even to, um, I wanted a lot of the, the female characters in the film to be really interesting and dynamic too. So yeah, it was, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, your actors definitely have an everyday quality to them, which is so relatable to the audience. When people come up to me from Friday the 13th Part 2, and even Girls' Night Out up to a certain extent, they always talk about how relatable all of the characters were. Not just mine, obviously, but all of the characters, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Movie making requires a huge deal of work before filming actually starts. How did you create a budget and then raise all the necessary funds 
so much goes into that that the normal person like me who just gets, you know, you just get hired to be in a movie and you don't know anything about the backstory of it. How do you get everything together? Yeah, I, I kind of I tried as much as I could to save up money. So I would work, you know, like my day job and I put money away from that. I'd, I'd shoot commercials and mm-hmm. I put away money from that. And then, um, you know, we did a Kickstarter. We raised about $16,000 from that. And then I had uh, four smaller, like kind of 5K investors uh, who I had, you know, worked for, done commercial work for. They had some trust in me. Yeah. That's really huge. And, and then over time like from 2014 to when we shot it i had kind of amassed i kept building up kind of like a production studio on my on my own and so kind of having all the necessary tools so by the time we went to shoot it i had you know camera sound lighting dolly everything that we needed and then there were other friends in town so we kind of put together like a grip and electric kind of like just our own production company and our g&e and our grip truck and stuff and then you know the funny thing was we had these investors <laughs> who, um, you know, they're going to come in with like uh, 50,000 bucks or whatever. But then four days before we went to shoot, they sent us, they sent me the legal and I realized that they were trying to steal the film from us. So they had this, uh, they had one, one form was this thing called the, um, the chain of title, which was established and I was the only one who wrote it. And the other one was this uh, copyright mortgage guarantee, which I would have had to sign over to them to register with the U.S. Copyright Office. And they're just going to hold on to that till whenever. And so I was like, yeah, this doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> so I turned them down and thank God I did because um, I later on I found out this is crazy is that the the name of the main guy, I just knew like his first name, his last initial in the company he worked for. And later on, I found this article where we talked about he had a $100 million deal with Netflix for like 10 movies over three years that he never even told me about. So I, I kind of assumed that basically we were shooting a, a very, like a $50,000 pitch video for them to take the Netflix and they would just shelve our thing and they would make it with the, the actual money. And then later on after that, then I, I go back and I see that he was under investigation by the SEC for like this $67 million gold scheme where like he was like ripping seniors off for like gold. And I was like, I can't believe this happened. Like it, the, the most bizarre situation. <laughs> Thank God for reading the fine print, right? Oh, I know. So basically, I think we just, you know, that that Friday when uh, I had to turn them down, we had an emergency meeting and we we talked to all the cast and the crew and like, can we do this? Can we afford to do this? Can you guys just give me 13 days and we'll go shoot this thing and I'll just be working on, you know, uh, like whatever we have right now, I'll pay off. And then over time, other people, I'll be paying them installments. And so that's kind of what we agreed to do. And so that's the only reason we're here at all, I think, is just because everybody kind of believed in the project and just believed in what we could do. And so it's, it's a miracle we're here at all. Aside from those jerks, did you have any other major stumbling blocks along the way? I had a near mutiny mid shoot. What happened? Oh, <laughs> uh, just, it, you know, the, the pressures of, um, I think just the fact that it was so like coming into it with all the, with that money pressure right away made me like pretty miserable as a person. And I think it's just like under, you know how it is. It's like film is stressful under the best conditions and under the worst conditions, it's extremely stressful. And then to throw into the fact that we're shooting like night forest exterior, it's in the middle of COVID. I think it was just one of, one of the big lessons I learned from it was to always think about like how your stress impacts yourself and then other people around you and how their stress like you set the tone, you know? And so I think that was yeah. a big lesson for me to learn. And, so I think it just, it was a very, very stressful shoot. And I think for a lot of people, it was 
coming to, to the grips with what indie film is and especially the ambition it was such a crazy shoot i think and i'm sure like you know you've, you've been on those kinds of shoots too where you're like all right let's i hope this gets through <laughs> <laughs> You know, you mentioned the crew and putting together the right crew is so important to a film's success. How did you find the right people to get the job done, except for the one guy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, he was a friend of mine and we kind of patched up after the fact, too. And so that was good, because I think, you know, at the end of the day, the the thing I kind of learned is you have to. And And some of my friends who were kind of mentors to me talked to me about how, like, you know, like, one of my friends is uh, Luke Boyce. He directed a movie called Revealer that came out on Shutter. He was talking. He talked to me about how, like him and his friend, who is his producer, they'll fight like cats and dogs. But the important thing is to always come back at the end of the day. And I think that's important is to, to always think about how you know if you all have the best interests of the film in mind and you're all protecting the integrity of what you're doing, then that's the best. But nothing is worth losing a friendship over, I right. think. And so. All the crew basically came out of the workshop um, that we did, except for uh, one of my friends who was out in L.A. and he came. It was kind of amazing. Just I think there was just so many people who, you know, positive attitudes all the way through. I mean, we were staying at the camp. We were living in these like shack. Oh, you were? Like, um, oh, yeah. We were staying at these like counselor cabins that were gross. I, I had to like vacuum out like a million spider webs and like some snake skins. And it was super <laughs> gross. And uh, they smelled like tw- like 12 year old teenagers who didn't know how to use like deodorant had stayed in it all summer so i think we aired up like three days it was so great <laughs> was it an actual working camp where you filmed oh yeah i feel like the the, the thing with your first film is you're like you're naive enough to go and make it <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean not realizing the punishment you're setting yourself up for the, the i think the crew were amazing i remember one day we went to um uh we had a night off and we went to this barbecue place in the middle of nowhere called the Pink Pig. And uh, we all came in and we were having a dinner. And the, the wait staff there, she asked if we were family. And that that just to me, it was everything because I always like love those people. You know, just all the stuff that they did, the fact that they helped me make this happen. It's like wouldn't be here without any of them. I'm going to get all emotional now. <laughs> You've got your actors, too. How did your vision for the characters you created influence the casting of your actors oh yeah that was huge because i think with with character like peter you know i I think just there's a really good um theater scene and acting scene in in champaign urbana and then we've got a lot of actors out of uh, university of illinois with the bfa program and i kind of going into the film I, i i studied the films of um like a lot of the films that were shot outside of the major film hubs. So I looked at George Romero's Night of the Living Dead and Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and Toby Hooper's uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre as to how they did it. Cause I knew like we're not in those places. So we have to think. So I kind of looked at them as case studies and, and with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he, he kind of cast a lot of people out of like the uh, UT Austin's BFA acting program. So I went to go talk to this guy, Aaron Munoz, who teaches acting for camera there. And he was, uh, he played Barb's dad on season two of Stranger Things. And so I was excited to go talk to him. And I was, I, you know, I talked to him about like, you know, the characters and who would you recommend? And then I watched a lot of the demos and I could just kind of start to see these people as them. And that kind of helped me to really think more about them. And then when we actually got, to, we would do table reads and read throughs mm-hmm. and, you know, and just, you know, that was the other thing, too, was, like, 
bring what is real to you into the character. So if it feels false, if it doesn't feel right, then let's make it feel real. Because I always want it to feel kind of authentic and not like corny or forced or too on the nose. And I think my favorite bit was I remember uh, that uh, Jenna Cohn, who plays Lexi, and uh, Wyatt Tabor played Peter. We were walking up and down my um, the alley behind my house doing this scene where they're walking and talking in the forest about like scary movies and stuff. And I love that because like, it's so interesting, you know, to talk to chemistry. So the actors have to have chemistry with each mm-hmm. other, mm-hmm. but then also you have to have chemistry between like your leads and even the chemistry between the final girl and the villain should have chemistry. It's so interesting how there's so much chemistry. And then as we schedule the shoot, we schedule it in a way where like uh, towards the end was when they started to do more group work or whatever some more of the, the kind of ensemble scenes where they're all in the scenes were kind of towards the end of the shoot so they had a chance to really get to know each other so they always talked about how like by the end of it they felt like they were at this camp working together and so it was it was really cool you know but I, yeah i always i just love them and uh yeah miles is probably my favorite one of my favorite characters he plays uh, mario miles valentine but yeah yeah they yeah. did a great job and the camera work on your lead of your final girl's face was just wonderful. You let the camera eat her up and eat her emotions and everything through her eyes. You just see everything that she's thinking and feeling. Even the younger version of her was amazing casting. Oh yeah. yeah, That was wild when we saw him. Like she looks exactly like her as younger. It was weird. (laughs) Yeah, it was weird. Speaking of casting, you did some stunt casting there with uh, Tom Matthews from Friday part six. How did you get him involved Uh, with it? I initially had uh, Neil Affleck from My Bloody Valentine in a role. And then through COVID, that kind of fell through. And I was kind of thinking about other people. And I was thinking, oh, Tom would be really cool. And then I reached out to his agent. We just started talking a bit. And I shot a sizzle reel the month, the summer before. So we had actually gone to the camp and we'd shot like a trailer for the film. And I sent that to him because, you know, you say slash for film. There's like 1,999 versions of that. And so I wanted people to see that we're going for this kind of darker, immersive, more mysterious, atmospheric kind of slasher. And so I sent that to him and he really liked it. And then we we talked a bit about what the film was and what it represented to me. And then he said, sure. And I I was kind of blown away. And then I was like, oh, no, (laughs) now we really got to make this thing happen. (laughs) But he was great. I loved, you know, uh, you know, again, it's one of those things where I, I, now I know it's like, you know, you got to put them in more scenes throughout when you get them there. So I would have just shot like, I would have invented scenes to shoot him in and stuff. But, um, you know, I think uh, it was fun to work with him because he has a, he has a really good, you know, film vocabulary and, and just, and I love working with actors where, you know, they know, the camera moves mm-hmm, and all their mm-hmm. blocking and like the, the, the lens that they have on mm-hmm. how to, you know, acting for a 24 versus the 50. And so it was just fun. I was, I was like in the middle of it all. So <laughs> I think at one point he saw me running across the street, yelling at everybody to move gear out of the shot or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think it's, it's interesting to, you know, cause I think the hard thing is, is you take a, a very kind of well-known established genre and then you're trying to kind of, show what it could be you know and and it's and i think for me it's like i didn't want to lean into the gore or anything like that i wanted Mm -hmm. to lean more into the atmosphere and yeah i think it's you know i feel like again actors yeah i'm sure you know this it's like taking a chance on 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 an unknown or or taking a chance on 
maybe this will see the light of day. Cause I, I feel like one of my friends always said this and I believe this is like a completed film is a miracle. And I always used to laugh. I feel like I'd go to Walmart and like in the $5 bin of DVDs, you know, I'm like, that's a, that's a $5 bin of miracles that happen, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredible. For Friday the 13th part two, some people had to go back and do reshoots. Did you have any of that that you needed to do? And piggybacking on that, how long did your film take to shoot uh, from soup to nuts? Sure. So we did um, 21 days total, but there were 13 days of the camp. And then I would say there were pickups. We reshot the ending. Because uh, again, that COVID, like with the ending being in a hospital, trying to shoot in an actual hospital during COVID, forget it. So <laughs> so I found like one location where I had cobbled together. There was a hallway that had a door on it that looked like a hospital door, kind of. Like it had those the metal stuff at the bottom. And then on the second floor was a smaller room that could conceivably be a hospital room. So we were supposed to shoot five pages and we get there. There was nothing in that room. So I literally built this hospital room on the second floor of this eight, this massive building, like kind of by myself, carrying all this stuff up there. And then finally we set up and the guy's like, all right, you guys got 45 minutes. I'm like, oh my God. So I was just running like crazy. I, and I just felt like the, the ending to me, it wasn't right. It's the, the, the beats that we were trying to hit. Cause originally it was almost like a, you know, like to not give too much away, but like I've, there's kind of like a sense of the, the two survivors, like the Lexi and the Peter character could be a, more of a romantic thing. I just felt like that wasn't right. And then finally, there was another building in town. We And I found another location that had like basically two hospital wings that were like this older building that was owned by the police now or something. So we went and shot, reshot out the ending. And it was perfect because I remember that final line that she says, I was like, this is everything. This This is your whole story right here in this one last moment. And I remember she was like, well, how should I say it? I'm like, it's so intangible that I feel like I can't even tell you the note. You know, it's like it's it's this is it's not like the sadness. It's a release or something. And she like right out of the gate, like that first line, she just nailed it. I'm like, oh, that's 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 it. That's it right there. So it's I think it's, you know, luckily that that I was the editor and then I was the cinematographer and had all the gear. It was helpful to have those beats. And then sometimes it's. You know, you're editing it and you're like, oh, I need that one shot, you know, that I didn't get because I was running my head. I was like a chicken with a head cut off <laughs> during the shoot. And now I, I really realize how the importance of building in reshoots and pickups and all that stuff. And then, you know, and then I've been on a, lunch, a couple films since then. And so seeing how my friends work, you know, with my friend Rob, who shoots a lot for Shutter, and seeing how they'll do inserts at the end of the day. They'll do, but they always schedule pickups and stuff. And, you know, B-roll is always good, too. So yeah, it's just it's just so much. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was yeah. one of your biggest challenges while you were filming? Well, I, you know, I think the stress was the biggest thing, yeah, but I think yeah. um, the scale of it, it was crazy. Yeah. And then we were at the camp and it was very physical. So mm -hmm. we were out in some of those locations. There was no way to get to that place except to walk, you know, so we would. There was a scene where we lit this bridge over a river at night, and that was like a mile into the woods. We were carrying everything, generators, all that stuff. Just It was insane. And I think that's what my biggest thing was coming out of it, was just really understanding how to set, setting the tone for the future, thinking more on, on all of that kind of stuff. Scores and songs play such an integral role in helping to create that whole on-screen mood. Who did you source the music from? Where did you find your music? So the, the main theme, and there's like a, a, 
kind of a mystery theme from that it was a friend of mine, um, this artist Slavi, he did some stuff for Terrifier too. And we just kind of got along really well. And then I think this happened in January, actually. I was like, hey, you know, would you, I, I just felt like I never had the, the, the hook or the theme there, you know? And so I was like, hey, do you, would you mind like writing some music for me? And then all of a sudden my friend Jeff uh, Schroeder, who played guitar in the Smashing Pumpkins, he wrote some some music as well. I need like 80 more minutes of music. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I ended up starting to write a lot of the music myself because I also played in bands and I did a mm. lot of electronic music and uh, a lot of electronic composition. So it, it was fun. I mean, I love music a lot. And I think that, you know, to go to the, the, the you know, like the moods and everything. And, and I love, uh, I like Trent Rosner and Atticus Frost was a big influence. So, so sometimes not as melodic, but just the, the atmospheric music yeah. to build those tension. And then uh, Jeff, uh, I shot a music for his band Night Dreamer called um, The Taste. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, this feels like an end credit song. Yeah, it's great. And Oh, yeah. Originally, I, I was going to have him cover Pat Benatar's Shadows of the Night because I felt like that was the emotional feel of the, the film. And then obviously I ran out of money. So <laughs> but he had the song. I was like, hey, you know, do you mind if, uh, you know, we use it for the end credit song? Because I, I always go back to, again, like Friday 13th Part 6 and, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 with like Dawkins Dream Warriors and Alice Cooper's like Man Behind the Mask. And I yeah. wanted that because I wanted the film to feel like a forgotten 80s slasher film. And yeah. I feel like you need that that song, you know, so it was, so I, I love, so I was just so grateful for Jeff for letting us use the song. Oh, a friend of mine brought us this really awesome, like 68 Mustang to set to be in the shot. And I was like, it was my one time I was looking off, I was looking for it all day to drive in the sink to set. And then the car just would not start at all. And I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. And I was trying to get it going. It was like my one moment to look cool. was just taken from me. And so everybody, <laughs> All the cast and crew got behind the car and just pushed it over to where it was in the shot. And that was kind of, there was a really funny sh shot of me just, just laughing as I'm driving, as they're just pushing me behind. I think that's, to me, it was like the, the symbolic of the whole film was we're trying to get this thing happening. There's no gas in it. We're just all there doing it together. You, know? so. you like horror, you like suspense. What are some of your all-time favorite films of any genre? No, I would. I, I watch Goodfellas anytime. I just love that so much. It's such a great film, and and then even recently, I love um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too, which is fantastic. Just I, I kind of love like and going from my personal experience, just dealing with like a sociopath, and then to go to the ending of of that film, I kind of loved how. You know, Tarantino rewrote that ending in a way because it's such a terrible tragedy what happened with, yeah. you know, like Sharon Tate and all that stuff. And so it was just really to to, to have Tarantino go and like screw up the the actual story of, you know, like the Manson, Manson family yeah. or whatever. It was kind of a great middle finger to them in a way. You mentioned Tarantino. Yeah. Are there certain directors that inspire you? Obviously, I think Spielberg's probably one of my favorites, mm -hmm. but I love Scorsese a lot, too. Um it's tough to say because I kind of just vary sometimes on who I like a lot. I like Fincher a lot too. You mm -hmm. know, I don't know if I'd ever do a hundred takes. You know, <laughs> I, I do. I do love um, William Friedkin. He's probably one of my favorite directors for mm -hmm. his kind of like. Have you ever seen the Friedkin Uncut documentary? No, I have not. Oh, so good. But he he started in Chicago. He was shooting a lot of commercials in Chicago, and actually. My aunt, she worked on a, a advertising firm in Chicago, and so he was one of their directors. 
And so I got to hear some interesting stories about him as well as uh, I think Janusz Kaminski was also a DP in Chicago at the time shooting for my aunt's like ad agency. So it was kind of cool to hear these stories. So I kind of grew up on that stuff too. So that was another thing. Yeah, I just, I think Freakin, because he's famous for his one take thing, you know, so you have to bring it. Sorry, that's just my soapbox. Sorry. <laughs> totally get it. Fix the lighting, fix the sound, get that boom out of the shot and yeah. just do it. If Hollywood came calling and said, hey, dude, we want you to direct part X of this franchise, what franchise would you love to be a director on? Probably Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I love Wes Craven. And then I feel like the the dreamscape is such an interesting place. I used to do a lot of, um, you know, like, where you, the lucid dreaming. I always loved like the, you know, obviously like Nancy Thompson and the and also then you got Patricia Arquette in part three. And I, I love the, the, the ensemble cast in part three. It was really great, too. And I feel like our, when I, I watched it recently, I was like, oh, that kind of reminds me a little bit of, of our film with how they all interact. But I, I think Nightmare on Elm Street is probably, I've, I would be excited to, to see that one happen. Because it'd be cool to, to get into that more in a different way than they've done before. And, and it's, you know, nightmares are just such a sandbox to play. It'd be fun. It's so, <laughs> yeah. true. You're right. I like that, that idea. It's a fun sandbox to play in. If you could be a famous actor, who would you be? Uh, I don't think I'd ever want to be a famous actor. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Steve Buscemi. Cause I love him a lot, you know, like, yeah. you know, Big Lebowski, he's so good in that. Or, just, you know, I just love, I love Steve Buscemi. So he's kind of one of my favorites. So, yeah. Yeah, I've got stock in him, too. I like him a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is there something your colleagues would be surprised to know about you? I don't, I don't know. I was in the Army. I play, I used to tour in bands in my 20s. I have a master's in special education. So <laughs> I feel like I've done a lot of things, you know, like there's there's always that thing. I, I remember when I was in my 20s, I hear this this guy was like asking for advice about being a film director. And the guy's like, well, you just want to go live your life. And then you come back about 15 years and you start directing. And at the time in my 20s, I'm like, well, that's stupid. You know, I want to have something real to know. But now I see it and I'm like, yeah, you need a lot of life experience to yeah. be able to communicate with actors, to have the you know, the kind of uh, wisdom sometimes to, <laughs> to know to avoid certain situations and to temper your ego and, and all that stuff. So I, I think, I don't know, uh, I always get imposter syndrome. So I think it's, but I, I like to, I think for me, it's like, I like to share all this stuff too, because mm-hmm. I feel like that demystifies it. Because I think people, like I noticed like a lot of people get, a, are afraid to share their work or afraid to share. I'm like, and I think what was beautiful or not beautiful, but what was good about going through that terrible experience was it kind of removed my sense of fear i think that helped me to make this film and to just share in the process and not be afraid to just share the ups and downs and the you know getting hit in the face with all sorts of life stuff (laughs) it's not so much growing a shell either from experiences it's more like acknowledging what's happened in your life learning from everything that happens good and bad and moving forward to better able yourself to deal with so many different situations and especially on a film set, so many different personalities, backgrounds and skill levels too. And having the patience as somebody who's been around it all to say, okay, this guy's just learning this. I was in his shoes once, or I was in her shoes once. Let me be the grown up and mentor them instead of being impatient and saying, well, just can't do it. Forget it. Yeah. I was going to ask you just one question. Um, I was just curious, like, you know, going through to the horror cons and talking to a lot of the fans, what do you think 
like especially for the like like women who love horror what do you think it is about like the final girl character because i i was just kind of recently just thinking about you know i feel like for horror it's it's an interesting genre where it, it is like like you have these amazing franchises that are led by women and and even to go to jamie lee curtis you know and, and hollywood's obsession obsession with like you know youth and all this stuff it's really amazing to have this franchise what do you hear from like like the the female or not the female audience but you know like other women about horror and what they really respond to i don't have a lot of people who talk to me about gore or gory movies they talk mostly about survivalship, you know, um, survival skills. They relate to the final girls, of course, because of their strength, their ability to take the situation that they're in and figure it out really fast. So that's what they take away from these horror movies. If they look at the victim, they think, what could she have done differently to save herself? You see, and I know a lot of people joke around, don't go in the shed. And meanwhile, everybody goes into the shed where all the knives are hanging. You know, you want to yell at the screen and go, no, don't go in there. So I think you learn from the victims, but you also learn, obviously, a lot from the final girls. And that's what a lot of the women share. I think that's really great because when I was at Horror Hound, I talked to some other like you know, like women who had seen a film. And, and we just started talking about our own stuff that we went through. It's really just interesting to see. The difference is with like, you know, I, I'm drawn much more to like a film that has like some emotion to it and a heart. And I, you know, we were getting beat up about there's no gores in this stuff or whatever. You know, I'm like, well, go see Terrifier 2. You know, like we're, <laughs> that's you'll go see that one. That's fine. You know, <laughs> but I just think uh, to me, that's the thing I love is like, you know, to go to the survivor thing. And to, that's mm-hmm. the thing I wanted to show with our film. And so I think that all films find an audience and I feel like this one hopefully will find an audience, too. Have you shown the movie in different venues? I know I obviously had the opportunity to see it. Yeah, we've gone. Um, so we've gone to probably, I think, about, I want to say like 15 film festivals, a lot in the U.S. And then cool. we did some in, like in the U.K. and Argentina. We did a, a like four-day kind of like a limited run in uh, my hometown. And then we did a drive-in premiere. That was awesome. We did it opposite Halloween ends. And I was uh-huh. scared to death. You know, we were going to get blown out of the water. But we actually... You know, we had more people come to our show than Halloween ends. So that was kind of cool. It was great. And, you know, it's, again, to, to go to like watching it with an audience is so much fun, especially when they're laughing at the things. And, and even like from Popcorn Frights, I kind of used the, the, the festivals a little bit as a, as test audiences. Mm-hmm. And so every time we did, went to a festival, I would recut it, you know, so, so it, I, I feel like I recut it at least. 10 more times after popcorn fries, you know, tidying it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, sometimes it like the acting can be good, but the editing might be loose. And so then it'll seem to the audience like the acting is not good, right. but really it's just, you, you just need to tighten it. Yeah. More, tighten it know? up a bit. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you were working on a project overnight. What's your next project and what's it about? Yeah. Um, so last night we were, we were shooting um, kind of a, a, sh- a segment for this anthology feature film. It's kind of like, just like, um, segments that are talking about like the day before the apocalypse or something. So mine was kind of like, I, I call it like fast times at area 52. <laughs> you know, it kind of has a little bit of a throwback to that or whatever. But uh, right now I'm waiting between going again to do a final summer part two or doing something a little bit more s- small scale. Mm-hmm. So I think after last night, I'm like leaning more towards something smaller scale. <laughs> <laughs> like I love haunted house movies. I love paranormal yeah. stuff. Like that's probably one of my favorite genres. I love six cents. Yeah. And, me too. Uh, Do you have a website or how can people oh, find sure. you on social media? 
Oh, yeah. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Final Summer Movie. And uh, that's and I'm really active on Instagram. Yeah. So that's where you'll see me post about, like, you know, the ups and downs of indie filmmaking. <laughs> and I always like to, to talk to people, too. So for people out there who are interested in filmmaking, feel free to reach out anytime because I love to talk about filmmaking just in general. Every now and then I love to just talk about horror, too. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for talking. It was great talking to you. you Thanks know, for so. coming on. I know you're working on a little bit of sleep there, but you got your dog next to you and oh, yeah, your coffee. Yeah. So thank you for staying awake with me. I'm, tr- I'm trying. I'm <laughs> hanging in there. I'm a little like here and there. Sorry. But it's all good. A big thank you to John Iceberg for kicking off Creator Month with me. I really appreciate it. You know, Final Summer is a gateway to horror. So if you've got family or friends who are just like, I'm not going to watch horror, and they're just not really ready to jump into the horror pool, then this throwback style will definitely help them get their feet wet. You can find John on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. All you have to do is look up at Final Summer movie. And while you're at it, hop over to my Instagram, Laura Marie Taylor one that's the number one behind my name, to say hi and let me know what you think about Creator Month. A special thank you to everyone for listening to the show, for liking and subscribing, especially my Patreons. I've got James in Rhode Island. Hi, Tom, down in Baltimore. Tim in New Jersey and in PA now. And of course, Nick down in Texas. Thanks, guys, for supporting the show. And if you want to know how to support the show, you can just click on the link that's in those show notes that tell you all about the show and, you know, links to everybody, especially to our guests. Well, it's still summer, everybody. So don't forget to keep your doors locked and stay out of the woods.